0: It's a pleasure to be here. Larry's been a friend of mine for a number of years. I can't tell you how many because I'm not good at time sequences. Uh, I know how long I've been married, and I know pretty much the age of my children. And other than that, I'm not sure what today is. It's the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. Actually, Larry and I uh, are a part of a pastor's fellowship that meets for breakfast and theological discussion and singing and prayer uh, every other month. And we've been doing that for a number of years. He's preached in our church in Moore Park uh, several times, and uh, as a matter of fact, if I, my wife will have to correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't it two of our daughters are friends with Larry's wife, Becca? Right? Yeah, two of our daughters are friends with her, so we got some connections. Uh, but uh, we are happy to be here. And I was going to introduce my wife, but you beat me to it. So that's good. That's good. Franny's with me, and that's uh, that's a good thing. Uh, I want to read quite a bit of scripture, so if you want to follow along, I welcome you to open up your Bibles to the 42nd chapter of Job. I will warn you, I do read out of the New King James Version, not because I think it's the best version, but because I'm too old to change translations. So an old dog and new tricks, and I just continue on with the, uh, the New King James, which I've been using since time began. I want you to hear the words of the living God. These are not the words of men about God. These are God's words. Amen? Receive them as such. This is, of course, the last chapter of the book. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Job says to God, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Here's this conclusion of what happened. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore... I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and they comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a gold ring. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had fourteen thousand sheep, six thousand camels, one thousand yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second um, Keziah, and the name of the 3rd Kareneth Kerenath-Hapush. And in all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years, and saw his children and his grandchildren for four generations. So Job died and full of years. One more portion of Scripture, if you want to turn to it. Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be going back to Job, but I want to balance everything that we just read by reading this. And if you're familiar with the 11th chapter of Hebrews, you know that this is frequently called the, he- the the Hall of Faith, and it chronicles the lives and the exploits of people in the Old Testament who were men and women of faith. And most of them are stories, especially for the most part of the chapter, stories of great triumph, and, and they did these great exploits. But then in verse 35... It says, women received their dead raised to life again, but others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, and they were sawn in two, were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise or any sort of deliverance. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. You can turn back to Job. God in heaven, we thank you for this time to consider some scripture here, some lessons to learn about you from Job's life and from some of your other servants in Hebrews. We ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about the most important thing that you can ever know. Sounds like like the opening line for a multi-level marketing scheme, doesn't it? I want to talk to you about the most important thing you can ever know. And I think you probably can guess what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that is this, the most important thing to know is to know God. Now, when I say know God, we use knowing God synonymously frequently with being saved. Do you know the Lord? And I'm not taking anything away from that. But I'd like to submit to you that knowing the Lord in the sense of being born again, placing your faith in Him, being forgiven of your sins, being justified by Him, and being on the road to sanctification is the beginning of knowing God. It is certainly not the end. I say that because which of us can ever say we know everything there is to know about God? At least not in this life. We begin our journey of faith by receiving Christ, and we say, yes, I know the Lord. But really, we're just beginning to know the Lord. The most important thing is to know God. And it's, the most important thing to know about God is to know Him as He truly is. Now, I say that because there is no shortage of places and, and uh, people and voices that are telling us about God who couldn't be farther from the truth. Would you agree with that? You hear it even from people who claim to be Christians. They, somebody says something from the Bible, say, well, my God doesn't do that. Well, that's because your God, is a, a, he's an imaginary friend. Because the God of the Bible does do this. And if you say your God doesn't do this, then you've just revealed that your God is not God, but your imagination. I'm not a big fan of faith-based movies. Now, if you are, God bless you. But I'm not a big fan of faith-based movies. You know, a lot of times, if, if there's a Bible or even a devotional book on a nightstand in the background of a movie, these, oh, it's faith-based," but there's not much to it. But faith, faith-based movies and I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush, so forgive me if, it, if I'm offending your favorite movie faith-based movies. They give us a false message about God very frequently. As a matter of fact, they not only give us a false message about God without realizing it, they're telling us about a false God. Here's the way the faith-based movie pattern works. Have problems, believe in God, and everything gets better and live happily ever after. And that's about it. Problems disappear. Think about the movies that you've seen. Problems disappear. Families are reunited. Uh, teams win the big game. I don't know why faith-based movies always have a, seem to always have a sports team involved. The, they win the big game. Job's story, at least the part of it that I read, which is the last chapter, especially the last half of the last chapter, sounds like it could be a really good faith-based movie. Here's a guy who had lots of problems. Would you agree with that? And in the end, he believed in God, and all of his problems went away, and he was prosperous. Roll the credits. Oh, that was such a good movie. I feel so much better about my chances of succeeding and being prosperous now. But the interesting thing is, is that Job's story doesn't end that way. Uh, it seems like it does at the beginning, but it doesn't. Job lost everything, and in the end, Job got double. Uh, he had 7,000, if you, in your memory, r- scroll back to the first chapter, not that you would know these numbers, but I'm going to inform you. He started off the book of Job with 7,000 sheep and he ends with 14,000. He starts off with 3,000 camels, ends up with 6,000 camels, and I don't know about you, but I'm thinking 6,000 camels, yeah. <laughs> he had 500 yoke of oxen, now he's got 1,000 yoke of oxen. He had 500 donkeys, now he's got 1,000 donkeys. He has seven more sons, three more daughters. And what's the obvious lesson from our faith-based movie on the life of Job? Believe in God and everything will work out really well, and you'll be prosperous. That's the obvious lesson. But it's an incomplete, and I would submit to you a rather shallow Uh, lesson to learn from this. I think the the fuller, the deeper, the more spiritual, the more eternally uh, focused lesson, not only from Job, but from the whole Bible is, listen to this, whether God prospers us materially or not, know God, trust God, No matter what. Trust God when he's giving and trust God when he's taking. What did Job say in the first chapter of this book? He says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips, the Bible says. Think about how many people quote-unquote come to faith in Christ because of what they hope He's going to do for them. As a matter of fact, a lot of kind of quasi-not-the-best-approach evangelism is based on that. We've probably all been tempted in that way. We have friends or loved ones, family members, who are going through a tough time. You need to give your life to Christ, and your marriage will get better. You need to give your life to Christ, and you'll be able to kick your addictions. You know, And I'm not saying those things aren't true, because life with Christ is generally better than life without. Who'd agree with that? Of course it is. But... How many, and I think this is a real small number, because I didn't start off this way either when I was saved, but how many come to God because they really want to know him? How many come to faith in Christ because they think, you know, I need to know God. So God does work through means that are sometimes appealing to our more selfish interest the most important lesson from job is job's final words in 42 verses 1 through 6 then job answered the lord and said i know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you and then he says to god you asked who is this who hides counsel without knowledge therefore and and by the way what job said what god said in that He's quoting God, but he's not saying at all. What God actually said was, who is this who hides counsel with, uh, without knowledge? Uh, he says, I will question you and you will answer me. Wow. Therefore, what does Job realize about himself? Therefore, I have uttered what I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Now he offers, here's what he learned. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you, and you will answer me. And here's what I've come up with. I have heard you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, and therefore, because I see you. And the word see can frequently in Scripture have to do with understanding, if you see what I mean. Understanding and seeing. Unless one is born again, he can in no way, what? See the kingdom of God. It doesn't have to do just with what we see with our eyes. It means understand. Here's what I've come to understand. I abhor myself. I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Note in this conclusion to Job's story from his own mouth what he said about his possessions. Nothing. Nothing at all. He doesn't even mention them. I wonder why that is. Do you suppose it could be that when you learn the lesson that Job learned in this book, which, by the way, you stop and think of how long this book is. It's 42 chapters. Not that many chapters are given to many great men and women in the, in the Old Testament, but 42 chapters. This must be an important lesson that God has for us in this. But you stop and think of how many how that he went through all this stuff and he and he in the end he wasn't even concerned about that. Instead, Job learned two, and I'll say related lessons, two very related lessons. Here they are. How big God is. Does that sound like a good lesson to learn? And what follows. What's the second lesson that naturally follows when we understand how big God is? How small we are. That's what Job learned. Know God, trust God, and here's what happens frequently, and we'll come back to this in a few moments. Possessions are no longer the most important thing. They're no longer the important They're important. It's nice to have food, it's nice to have clothing, nice to have a roof over your head. Live in California, it's nice to have a car, especially if you live like we do in suburbs and there's no really reliable uh, mass transit to get us around all that much, at least not conveniently. Verses 1 and 2 he learned that God was sovereign. God does as he pleases. Good news, he's only pleased to do what is good and what's right. Verse 3 Job realized his previous words about God were spoken in ignorance because he really didn't know God. He knew of God. He'd heard of Him the hearing of the ear. But now, on the other side of all of this stuff, I know Him. In verse 4 and 5, what Job finally understood was who God is. In light of who God is, Job finally saw himself as nothing. That's a good thing to, to, good way to evaluate ourselves if we can honestly say, you know what, I'm not the hero of any story. God wants to be known by his people. Praise God that we, we, we know a God who is a God of, of uh, self-revelation. He wants us to know Him. He doesn't hide Himself. He's not like the guy on the corner in a busy street in a downtown city who's you know, doing a shell game, trying to trick you into finding what's the pea or the bean that's been missing. No, no. He says, here I am. I want you to know Me. But He wants us to know Him as He truly is, not as a way to get our problems fixed. I can speak for myself and say, Francis and I were married for a couple of years before we were saved. But By the grace of God, we were saved at the same time, so we've never been a house divided. We had it made when we were in the world. Real problems didn't start till we knew the Lord. Not that that's everybody's story. So what is there important to know about God? Well, there's a lot of things about God to know, but I want to... I want to suggest three things that are the, most, the three most important things from my perspective. This isn't There's no verse in the Bible that says this, but from my perspective, there are three things about God that are the chief things that we should know, and I think it's what, he, what Job learned. The first thing is that God is holy. The second thing is that God is sovereign. And the third thing is that God is loving. He loves us. What does it mean that God is holy? Well, when we use the word holy, if we use it in the absolute sense, it can only be used of God, because holiness literally means purity, and not only pure in thought and, and, and in deed and in everything else, but pure to the extent that there isn't even the, cor- the potential for corruption. Do you know anything else that's that pure? you know anyone or anything else that is so pure that it can't be corrupted? Well, that's God. It can only apply to Him. Second definition of God being holy is that He's other than. He's different from everything else. Now, we are like Him in that we are created in His image. Praise God for that. But we are unlike Him along with everything else that He created in that He is the creator and everything else is created. That, that creator-creature distinction is huge. And it and it's a reminder to us that God is a little different than us. <laughs> Actually, a lot different. I said the important things is that God is holy. The second thing is that God is sovereign. When we think of the word sovereignty, we think of God's sovereignty frequently. Maybe you don't, but a lot of people think, oh, that's synonymous with powerful. Hey, I'm not taking anything away from the fact that God is powerful because God is powerful. He is all power. He, he does everything and never even expends any of His power because His power is infinite. It cannot be expended. But sovereignty is, is really not referring to power, even though He is powerful. It's referring to His freedom. God is absolutely free. Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven. Listen, our God is in heaven and He does as He pleases. He doesn't need anybody's approval. He doesn't take a draft to his boss's desk and get signed off on it. He doesn't have to have anybody countersign his checks. He doesn't have to ask anybody, who gives counsel to the Lord? He doesn't need it. He's free to do as He pleases. Freedom. Another, thing, another way of talking about freedom is, talk, is that God has authority. That He's sovereign means He has absolute authority. And God wants us to know this. And when we do, I would submit to you that everything changes. And here's why. Because when we know that God is holy and that we know that God is sovereign, then we can know our place in light of His place perspective. Job learned this lesson, and we need to as well, because he was the greatest man around at the beginning of the book, and he was reduced to a mess. And what did he come out of that knowing? God. And what did he think of himself after that? I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. We need to learn this lesson too. The disciples learned this lesson. One of my favorite stories of them learning this lesson, the disciples learned this lesson when they were in a boat in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's recorded in Matthew 8, Mark 4, and Luke 8. Jesus, I'm not going to rehearse the whole story, but Jesus exercised not just power, but authority. Sovereignty. And in one gospel, it says the men marveled. In another gospel, it says they were afraid. And in Luke's gospel, it says the men marveled and were exceedingly afraid. Why? Because they got a glimpse of one who was not like they are. They got a glimpse of one who has absolute authority. Now, before talking about number three, which is God is loving, Understanding holiness and sovereignty, even in part, because we none of us understand these things completely and perfectly, but understanding something about God's sovereignty changes us. It changes us. You don't want to know why? And this is a way to gauge how well you know His holiness and His sovereignty, because when we know His holiness and His sovereignty, He terrifies us. He terrifies us. Not everyone experiences this terror in exactly the same way. Some people, just by nature, are more demonstrative with their emotions than others. I mean, I cry at the opening credits of Little House on the Prairie. I'm a very tender sort. I'm kidding. It's only at the end that I cry. Um, not everyone is, is as demonstrative as everyone else. So it doesn't mean that everybody has to experience these things, but grasping something of the absolute holiness of God, And grasping something of His absolute sovereignty, authority, and freedom triggers tremors of fear at the otherness of God. I was about 30 years old, maybe 31 or 32, uh, and I was in my little cubbyhole of an office, and I was studying the Word of God. And to this day, I do, not re- I do not remember what I was studying, but I remember that I was shocked just by myself in my office about the majesty of God and the greatness of God. And before I knew what I was doing, involuntarily, I had crawled under my desk. As I said, I'm a little bit more demonstrable than some people, but I'll never forget that experience. And I pray I never do, because it was a Even though I hadn't wasn't, it wasn't studying Job, it was a peek into what he experienced when he saw God and was afraid. It was a peek into what the disciples felt when they said, You're not like us. And they were terrified of him. This this kind of the reason why I take the time to talk about that is because this terror of God, this terror of God could be paralyzing if he were not. Also loving. Does that make sense? The greatest manifestation of God's love, I mean, I say this with the authority of Scripture, the greatest manifestation of God's love is that God forgives sinners. And how? By his son offering himself up. Nobody killed him. They tried to, but he offered up and laid down his own life on the cross in order to pay for our forgiveness. The greatest. But God demonstrates his own love for us, Paul says to the Romans, in that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us? that's why it's real i think it's really valuable to to know something to in order to appreciate the love of god is to appreciate the holiness of god and the and the sovereignty of god and yet christ did this for us terror changes and becomes something else and i believe that this is what job and his friends experienced in verse 7 8 9 i'm not going to read it for you but god told the Job was now right with God because he had confessed his sin and etc. But the 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 three friends, you know, friends like that, who needs enemies? These three guys that were giving him bad advice nonstop. He God tells them, "I'm not happy with you." And and notice why he wasn't happy because you didn't speak of me what was right. Not just that you gave bad counsel to your friend, but you spoke things of me. God says, that were not correct. Why? Because they didn't know him. And so he told them you need to offer sacrifice, which was what they did in those days and in those cultures. You offer sacrifice for your sin. But interestingly enough, he says, Go to Job. My my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him. And I, I can't help but think there's a little picture of Christ I accept him, so he is going to pray for you. And Job becomes a type of Christ, interceding for his guilty friends. And God was willing to listen to him, even as he listens to Christ on our behalf. God accepted a sacrifice for their foolishness, for their sin. In fact, as I said, Jesus becomes a type of Christ. How does this... Fit together with this terror? Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, listen to these words. Some of you know them. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. If you should keep track of all of our sins and hold them against us. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. And it doesn't say so that we may hoot and holler and party. The Word of God says there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. We rightly are terrified by God's absolute holiness and His absolute sovereignty, but that terror is tempered and changes into something when we know God's love and forgiveness. Our terror of God is turned into reverence, and awe, and humility, and gratitude. Some of you may be familiar with C.S. Lewis's story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In the story, Lewis has a character named Aslan. He's a great lion. He's a type of Christ in this story. Aslan is a lion who represents Christ. One of the characters in the story named Susan asked about Aslan, is he quite safe? They're British, so they say quite. Is he quite safe? Safe? Question Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe! But he's good. That's the way God is. He's holy. He's sovereign. But he loves us. Because God is holy and because God is sovereign, he is not safe, but he is good. Though faith-based movies often promote a God who is safe and who seems to love to make us happy. I mean, who doesn't want a God like that? That's not the God of the Bible. The hero of every story in the Bible is God. And more particular, according to Jesus, he talked about the Old Testament scriptures, but these are they which testify of me, Jesus says. He's the main, the main character in every story. Everything is for his, for his glory. Life with God, I said this a moment ago, but let me say it again. Life with God is generally better than life without God. Generally. But not always in this life. Sometimes God grants peace and happiness, but not always. Exhibit A, that's why I read those verses at the end of chapter 11, because of Hebrews, the beginning of chapter 11 of Hebrews is all about All these people of faith triumphed over this and triumphed over that and triumphed over the other and you get to the end and they said, yeah, but you know what? Some of them were sawn in two. And they survived by the same faith that was associated with other people having these triumphant experiences. They wandered around in deserts. They were lost in the mountains. They, They lived in caves. They weren't delivered like in a faith-based movie. The good news is our lives are not limited to this life. So even if it pleases God to bring suffering into any of our lives, that maybe is persistent and maybe we don't get deliverance from it the way Job did in the end. Deliverance is still coming. This life is not our home. We're just passing through. And what's promised to us in heaven is not only promised to us that it is, but it's promised to us that it's beyond anything we can imagine. Live every day with eternity in mind. Not just live every day hoping better days ahead tomorrow. Because maybe it will be, maybe it won't. Life with God can be and is often difficult. And Jesus warned us of that. John 16.33, in this life you will have tribulation. John 15.18, in this world you will be hated. Why? Because they hate me, Jesus said. Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, shall suffer persecution. God is a God of self-disclosure. He's not doing a bait and switch on us. He's not promising one thing and then offering up something else. Listen, and don't miss this because I'm going to be done before you know it. When Job questioned God in the middle of the book of Job, His question was why. It's understandable. His question was why. Read the book, and I defy you to show me one verse or even one inference that God ever answered the question why. He never did. Instead, God answered the question, who? Who's in charge here? Who is this really all about? The more we know God, and I would suggest a great place to start is with His holiness, with His sovereignty, and with His love. The more we know God as He truly is, one of two things is going to happen. Either A, we will either know why, because He might be pleased to let us in on it. Sometimes He does. You can look back at your life if you've lived any length of time and say, man, I didn't know why I was going through that trouble, but then I could see what God was up to because I lived to see what God was up to. But it's not always that way. The more we know God, the more we will either know why or probably more frequently, why won't matter because we know who God is and here's who God is he's holy he's sovereign and he's loving and no better greater proof of his love is given and there could be no greater proof of his love than that when we were still sinners Christ died for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for this reminder of who you are. And as it was in Job's life, and as it is in our lives as we continue to grow, may it continue that the more we know who you are as revealed in your word, the more we trust in Christ who died to save sinners, the more we will trust and be in awe of You. And we thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.